Well, we have been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and this will end the series here, but I encourage you guys to continue to read the book for yourself and get to know some of the details there. The first seven chapters of Nehemiah are in many ways a memoir. It's a picture of Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem in order to build the walls there, and those walls would be built in order to protect the city. But one of the things that we've done with this series is that we've really been encouraging people to look at their own lives and figure out what is your passion? What would cause you to move back to a town that you've never been before and protect that town? What would cause you to maybe start up a business or go into teaching in a school? What is driving you? What is your master passion? What do you feel like you want to pour your life into as Nehemiah found himself doing the same? We said in the first message that this really, if you want to do something dynamic and great, the first thing you need is alignment and then assignment. Far too many people want to know, what is my assignment, God? What is my purpose, God? But the first thing you need to do is get your life aligned with God. You need to make sure that you are following him and serving him, and you're having every aspect of your life bowing, to, bowing yourself down to the Father, our God. And the second thing we said was, the reality is that many of us will have a clear vision in our mind of what should be, but God will oftentimes put us in the waiting room. There will be a time gap between what we know must happen and when it actually happens. And we called on you, and we believe God is calling us to worship while we're in the waiting room, or waiting on God to see him do great things. And then we talked about last week, we talked about how resistance is coming, that there, we have an enemy that longs to, the Bible says he seeks to devour us, he prowls around us like a lion, and so we will have all types of opposition, all types of resistance when you want to do something great for God. And so this week, uh, it will be a different message, but we will be talking about lifting as we climb. Lifting as we climb. Our mission statement, which we've repeated over and over again every week, is to connect to God, grow with family, serve our city. And so that's what many of you have experienced when you came to this church. You enjoyed the word, you enjoyed the worship, you enjoyed the community. And so our hope was is that when you walked in the doors, that you started to connect with God. Many, many of you maybe weren't in church or you're de-churched or you're unchurched, but, or the bottom line is you were looking for a place to grow. And you found this place as the place you wanted to connect to God. But then what we try to do is we try to move you into an atmosphere where you can be amongst family, that you can learn your word amongst people that you can trust and develop safe relationships with. We do that through our city groups. And then thirdly, we always say serve our city. We want to be able to connect to the city in a way where if we were to leave a given area in the city, that place would be sad because we're gone. And so the city is our target. And we believe this is part of sanctifying you and growing you up, that you have to develop a relationship with God and connect to him, and then you have to develop a relationship with people. And then thirdly, you have to be able to lean into the city. Love God's city, because this is his city. But as we've gathered as a church, it's, you know, I, I tell you guys all the time how it's amazing to me to see people come. I still remember 
when we had three people. I remember when we had 30 people. I still have a habit of not looking back to see if people are going to come in the door because there's in my, there's in my head like I don't think people are going to show up every Sunday because that's what I got used to every week. And the reality is that God has grown us, and I love what God has done. If you look around, we are multi-ethnic. If you look around, we're multicultural. I mean, it's beautiful. We had people over our house for Thanksgiving, and one of the hardest questions to ask in Brooklyn is, where are you, where are you from? Anywhere else I've lived, I've said, where are you from? And they'll say, I'm from, oh, the east side of Chicago. And, but when I ask people here, they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, oh, I mean it, I mean it the same way I've always meant it. But <laughs> what, people, what people are saying is, I have an ethnic background, not just a geographical background. I'm not just from Brooklyn. I have people from a certain place. And so ethnic-wise, we've grown. We continue to grow. And I believe God is glorified in our diversity. But I believe that whenever you are um, serving the city, you have to ask yourself a fundamental question. Who in the city do we want to serve? And what are their needs? Who specifically do we want to serve and what are their needs? And it's, we've kind of encouraged you to be leaders and think about what your passion is. On some level, God is calling you to a particular people group, a particular place, a particular issue. And we at first wanted this church to be diverse. We wanted it so that when you looked around, we could not be defined by one culture or one ethnicity. And we praise God that we have this beauty, this mosaic that we have in our community and here in the church. But I think as we've asked ourselves, who in the city do we want to serve? We've thought about the fact that here we are in Park Slope. And we love the consignment shops and we love the Coffee, coffee for $4 and all the amazing things that you can get here. The dogs with shoes on them and all the other stuff. We love all those things. But the reality is we've gathered black, brown, and white people in a space where we look completely different than the community itself. And the high schools and the middle schools, and the people in this community, there's a sense in which we've always asked ourselves, are we serving Park Slope? Is this, you know, are, and what are their needs? Not to say they don't have any, but are we serving these people, and, and what are their needs that we're serving? When you plant a church, you can do it through several different methods, and many of the methods that you see oftentimes in church planting are what you could call suburban methods, where you have a really good children's church. Hopefully the preacher makes sense. The worship is somewhat inspiring, hopefully, and you have community that makes people smile. But what we've realized and what we felt a burden about, and let me just stop and say this, we could stay here in Park Slope and keep going and keep growing. I, I'm doing everything in my power not to do another service. We're adding chairs. We're making up chairs. I'm like, we can, we can fit. It's going to feel like Noah's Ark by December. But in my mind, I'm like, you know, we don't, we don't want this to be our place. We don't want this to be our home because there is a particular area in the city we have a passion about. There's a particular people group that we have a passion for. You see, we have become multi-ethnic. 
But as a church, we have not become multi-economic. When you really look at who we are as a church, everybody's kind of working their way. You went to college or you wanted to go to college or you know a lot of people in college, but we are essentially a church. Yeah, we, yeah and, and people are still broke, praise God. I'm not saying you don't, y'all have money. But, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is this. There are people who are trapped in poverty and I believe our church is called to serve them. Urban church planting must have, at, at its heartbeat, it must ask, who are we trying to serve? And we can't just import suburban methods into an urban space. And I can tell you right now, we could go to Flatbush and keep doing what we're doing and still grow. Sometimes growth is not the only picture of success. You have to look around and say, who are we serving? Now, let me just pause. Much of this message is going to be about our church and how we're serving, but let me just pause and reflect. If you are doing something great for people, you have to ask, is it to their benefit as well? You remember uh, Stephon Marbury? Y'all remember Stephon Marbury? And he had those sneakers. What were they called? Starberries, right? And everybody joked him, right, because they were in Payless and whatnot. But listen, he asked himself the question, am I really helping my community by charging young black boys to to get shoes that are $200? You see, just because people are buying it doesn't mean it's a benefit to the people. And so what Starburys were were about were about helping the community. Now, I don't rock them, praise God. (laughs) But I'm just saying, what Stephon Marbury did was he asked himself, What do I have and what do they need? Not what can I get a benefit from? And so you you ask yourself that question, whatever God is calling you to do, whatever your passion is, whatever God has given you a vision for, however God has given you a sanctified imagination in order to do something great, ask yourself, is this to the benefit of them or me? Is this really helping them? And as we go into Flatbush, I can tell you now, there will be people at Caribbean churches and Latino churches, and they're tired, and they'll come to our church, and they'll be like, I'm tired of being at my mom's church, I'm tired of being at my grandfather's church, and they'll come to our church, and we can, we can function like a parasite, coming in and taking away from the churches that are there. And that is not our vision. We accept those folks, but that's not our vision. Our vision is to, that's why we're Bridge Church. We want to reach people who are unchurched and de-churched and wouldn't have gone to church. But we also want to help people who are in desperate situations. I remember a year ago we did the Known campaign and we, we went to the men's shelter and we handed out these sweatshirts. For those of you that don't know the Known campaign, you'll hear more about it in the months and weeks to come. But there's these sweatshirts that we were handing out, and um, I remember men from the, the shelter, they came and they stood outside. They stood outside. And, they, and they, they had all their sweatshirts on. They had these known campaign sweatshirts on. And I remember they just stood outside, and so I, I remember myself and maybe some other people went outside and were like, hey, guys, you're welcome in here. And they was like, man, I don't know if I can go in there. Because they saw all the cute people here, praise God, walking in, and they're like, we don't fit. We don't, we don't fit here. 
This is the, the clothes you gave me are the best I got. We don't fit. And what I want people in Flatbush to know as we move there is we, we celebrate people that don't fit. I believe God has called us to be a community of misfits. And maybe he doesn't have the clothes. But I, but I believe God, that's, what, that's, that's the need. And so economic issues within the urban space are part of why we are moving our church to Flatbush, Brooklyn. We are intentionally going to a space where there are financial problems so that we can be a solution. Although we could stay here, we believe God is calling us to that. And that is much of what that building is about. Now, as I said, this is a sermon, but it is in many ways, to some degree, a a State of the Union address for us as a church, because we must have buy-in from everybody. This is not about a building. When we move there, it's not about a building. We could have found a a cheaper building in other places. Praise God, we could have found a cheaper building. This is not about a building. This is about building people. It's about the people. So hear me out. There is, you ask yourself, as you watch TV, as you see the news, as you, as you f- experience the intensity of the problems of our country, you ask yourself, what is the number one problem happening in urban America? And I can tell you it's the same in Detroit, it's the same in L.A., it's the same in Brooklyn, it's the same in Houston, same in Chicago. It's the same problem. There is an economic wealth gap in this country that is seemingly insurmountable. And it is a cyclical problem. Um, The Pew Research found an analysis of 2009 government says that the medium wealth gap of white households is 20 times that of black households. And 18 times that of Hispanic households. In 2009, the typical black household had $5,677 in wealth. The typical Hispanic household had $6,325 in wealth. And the typical white household had $113,149 in wealth. Wealth is what you owe versus what you own. And what this is saying is most black and brown families are one car away from being completely out of any kind of wealth, owning nothing. When we got our house in 2005 in Raleigh, North Carolina, I remember it was asking me this, this uh, thing we had to fill out. It was saying, what are your assets? And I was like, baby, is this talking about debt? I was like, what is, when they say assets, what are they talking about? She was like, we ain't got none of that, so don't <laughs> skip that part. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And I started thinking, I was like, well, you know, I'm a suburban kid. And I was like, what, 
why don't I have assets? Why don't I, why don't, why is my dad not being able to give me anything that, that is of value on that scale, an asset? <clears throat> and when you look at the economic divide in our country, much of it is the fact that black and brown people from the beginning of this country have not been able to own things, in particular owning homes. So if you were to look all the way back to around the 1800s, you had, after slavery, which was obviously no economy whatsoever for black people, when you look back at after slavery, what you had was sharecropping. And once you had sharecroppers, these were black folks who were trying to just take care of land, and they were trying to keep up with their neighbors, but they were not able to own their land. So as the years went on beyond the 1800s into the early 1900s, black folks now are, are you know, the, the laws are changing, and they're wanting not only to own their land, but to go to banks. Once you get to the 1930s, the banks, once you, the Great Depression hits, the banks start saying that they're not going to loan to black people. So not only can I not own my land, but as they wanted to not only own their land, they wanted to own homes. The way to own and to have wealth is to own a home or own land to some degree. And what the banks told African Americans was that you could not own. And so this created an economic chasm in our country. So what happened was, African-Americans found themselves moving to urban spaces. And as they would move, the next picture we have is of folks in Oakland. This is of a young black boy in Oakland, shining shoes. There he is in Oakland trying to keep up his money, but a lot of African-Americans weren't able to sustain income with anything that's of surplus. It was shining shoes. It was being at the bottom, being a maid. It was driving a bus. And then I started looking back at my own life. I'm like, oh, yeah, my dad, he was the first black man to graduate Millsaps College with a master's degree. But his dad worked at the paper mill. And his dad worked uh, at a shoeshine and stop himself. And so I started thinking, wow, my family has never been able to give me anything, give me anything financially that I could be able to have for myself. And so... Black people moved to these urban spaces in order really to get opportunity, but also to escape persecution happening in the South. Once you have this happening in a community, in an urban space, there begins to be a tension happening. We learn throughout time that once there was the problems of the economy, we started seeing imprisonment happen. Many of you have watched the movie The 13th or you've read about Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. In there, she discusses how there is a new caste system so that not only do you have economic problems, but the folks with the biggest issues of poverty are now being criminalized. So now if you go to jail and you get a felony, not only can you not get a student loan, but you also you have to put that on every job application you have and you can't vote for the next 12 years. See, so what I'm saying to you is that in the urban space, there is a unique problem of economics. 
And the reason this is, you know, in a multi-ethnic church, sometimes these conversations are difficult, but the only reason they're difficult is that we've tried to decolorize our country. We've tried to act like color doesn't matter anymore and race is not even existence. When, when you look at the economy, I can, go, I can point you to any city in America and I can tell you, show me the black part, show me the white part. Any city in America. And it's because there are unique economic issues that are plaguing urban America. And as a church, we are doing several things to make sure that we are part of solution because we believe that is the greatest need we can serve. Yes, we want to serve people spiritually and help them know God, we will do that. But there's another part that we feel like is utterly important. And so part of what we're going to be doing is uh, there's an organization, Send North America, that we are a part of. And they are, when I, when I told you that I was able to raise $200,000, that was from them, praise God. So, um, so yeah, now that makes a difference. Um, and we are looking at other ways with them that we can not only get that building, but that we could help that community economically. Here, a picture of the building it's, it's, it's a beautiful space. It's a beautiful space. We are praying that there's some partnerships we're looking at to be able to get the first floor. Right now, we don't have it, but we're looking at some partnerships to get the first floor. We're going to have the second floor, third floor, rooftop. We're, right now, we're, we're thinking about how we can have an event space an event space that we could train people, particularly ex-offenders, on hospitality to give them skills. We are thinking about ways that some of these folks can be able to learn how to do sound and maybe even coding skills. We're, we're not sure, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you a, a plan that we're, we're praying about and dreaming about, but what we're saying is we are looking at how we can use that building not just to house our church, but that we could help mend the economic chasm in our community. So we could do trainings and build up entrepreneurs because we believe it is not enough just to have a building for us. We believe that that community should celebrate that that building is there. Again, this is not about a building. It's about building people. And so our heartbeat is that we would be able to move in and help change the culture there. But just realize that no matter what we do, one economist said that there will, be, there will always be economic downturns in the country. There will be recessions and depressions. And whenever those things happen, the urban space gets affected more. One author said when white folks catch a cold, black folks get pneumonia, right? And so what, what they're saying is, is that when you, have, when you don't own anything, when you're just getting by, th this becomes part of the definition of who you are, and that, and that defines the ur urban America. Now, um, we won't change everything, but we believe that this is part of what we must do as a community. I want to look in Nehemiah briefly uh, like I said, this is not your typical sermon, but I want to look there because what happens is Nehemiah 
ends up dealing with the economic issues happening in his community. It's so funny because I, I looked at a bunch of authors and a lot of people who have preached uh, in Nehemiah and they skip over this chapter and they go to the part where Nehemiah ends up getting people to confess their sin and getting people to read the word of God. And they skip over the economic problems. And I'm like, man, isn't that interesting how people do that, how, how our preaching bleeds into our methods, how some of the same things are happening now? This is a side note. Don't you think the places where the highest concentration of churches are, that's the, that should be the best places in America? Wouldn't that make sense? And it's not. And part of it is everyone is trying to fill a building. And, and we need to fill that building. That rent is high, praise God. We, we need to. So don't hear me wrong. Please come, bring a friend. <laughs> but I'm saying it is not, and, and, I, I'm, and we're figuring all these plans out, but it is not enough because of the people we're trying to serve. What's good for them? What do they need? There are millions of churches fleecing urban America from economics, telling them that they'll get a blessing if you give to the building. And we will not be that. The building, we are a blessing to the community. And if they give or don't give, we are going to bless that part of Brooklyn, Flatbush. Nehemiah 5, Nehemiah is there, and he's been building the wall with the people. And you see this in chapter 3, all the people start to help Nehemiah. And as he builds this wall, something happens. He gets to know the people, and he gets to know some of the struggles they have. And it says, again, Nehemiah is putting out his own memoir. It says, there was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against the, and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, "We, our sons and our daughters, are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live." Others were saying, "We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards." and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. So understand what was happening was, as people were building the wall day and night for over a month, there began to be a problem. There in that community, they weren't like us. When you need food, you go out to a store and get it. They grew their food. So because of that, they were not planting grain in the ground. And they weren't able, they weren't putting seeds in the ground to be able to get grain. And so in light of that, they weren't able to eat. And so there's a famine now amongst the land. And so what they're saying is, Nehemiah, we've been working so hard on this wall that we haven't been doing our jobs. There's been no agriculture. And that's what we live off of. And they said, in addition to that, our own Jewish countrymen, the noblemen and the officials, they tax us an extra tax beyond what the king, King Artaxerxes does. So King Artaxerxes would put a 20% tax on them. Their own countrymen would add an additional 20% tax. 
So now look at, what's pro- look at the problems. They're saying, man, we're, we're building this wall, but we can't eat now. And in addition to the problems of eating, we've got to deal with taxes. And now we're mortgaging our homes and we're mortgaging our fields just to be able to get some money so that we can eat. The reality is that they have nothing left. Nehemiah, thank you for this wall. But this ain't our only problem. Nehemiah, I appreciate your vision, and I appreciate that you had an idea in order to build. But there's something deeper happening in our community. Let me pause and say that when we get to Flatbush, there will be another problem. You see, once you start working on one, you know, I had a... um, I had a dear, dear brother come to me and say, James, why aren't black people mad about abortion? I was like, whoa, there's a implicit in that question is a belief. Do you believe that black people aren't upset about abortion? He says, yes, I don't hear about it. I was like, well, probably because we're dealing with a whole myriad of other issues. Um, That's your issue. And you've decided that our community is a pizza and you're going to take your slice while there's a whole bunch of problems. I've even encouraged some of my brothers, you know, that um, thought about putting a crisis pregnancy center there in Flatbush. So, yeah, I would love that. I also like a crisis center so we could just deal with any problem that comes about. (laughs) Because to change a city is not just to change my little piece of the pie. What do you need? What do you need? So, (laughs) Nehemiah, the issues are deeper than you have seen. And this is what what they said in Nehemiah 5.5. I can imagine this was just one of the wives. Maybe saying, we and our children are just like our countrymen and their children. Yet we are subjecting our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are enslaved, but we are powerless because of our fields and our vineyards belong to others. We have no power, they're saying. And they said, this is how crazy it is. At this point, we're having to put our children in debt slavery. I'm having to give my daughter over to one of my Jewish countrymen so that my debt would be taken care of. And when that would happen, they would give their daughters and their sons over for seven years. But if you look in the text, at the very end, they're talking mostly about daughters because these older men would take their daughters as wives for seven years. We're now having to leverage our family because of the problems that we feel. And what Nehemiah is saying, what they're saying to Nehemiah is, are you going to be the same? Are you going to be like my other countrymen that prostitute us, that use us? Are you going to be like them? Are you not going to care what's happening to us? And this is what they say in in, in verse 5. Our children are just like our countrymen and their children. What they're saying is, the people with power 
our kids are just like theirs. And what they're essentially saying is, I wish they saw my kids like they see their kids. I wish the people in power would care for my daughter like I care for my daughter. I wish they would see them the same. Nehemiah, don't be like them. Don't use us. Don't just care about my money and my attendance. Don't use us. Don't prostitute us. Care about what's happening in our community. I know we may bring a different set of issues. I know there may be deeper challenges. You know, it's so funny. Whenever I tell people we're moving our church to Flatbush, people from Flatbush are like, you ready? I'm like, I, I think so. I think so. I don't know. I don't know. Are we ready for the issues of mental health in Flatbush? Are we ready for the issues of the economics in Flatbush? Are we ready for the issues of schools in Flatbush? But at, 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 at the heartbeat of what she's saying is that I, I see my children a certain way. I see my community a certain way. Do you see it the way I see it? Or will you use us? And don't get it twisted. We could use that community too. We're not, it's a, we're not immune from that. Many churches love crowds but hate people. And what I'm telling you is that if you really, if you really want to get into the mess of people's lives, it will cost you. It will be costly. And many of us are only thinking about the building and not the people. And I'm saying that we have to spend time with people to see things the way they see them. And Nehemiah, it says in verse 6, Nehemiah says, I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After seriously considering the matter, I, I accused the nobles, <laughs> Nehemiah's a bad boy, I accused the nobles and the officials saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interests. So I called a large assembly against them and said, we have done our best to buy back our, our Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners. But now you sell our countrymen our own countrymen, and we have to buy them back. And so what he's saying is we were once enslaved in Babylon and we were enslaved in Persia, but now you are putting them in debt slavery over here. It makes no sense. So he goes on to say they, re they remain silent. The nobles and the officials are silent and could not say a word. And then I said, what are you doing? What you're doing isn't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and not invite the reproach of our foreign enemies. You can go on to the next. Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Nehemiah was taking of his own money and his own grain and giving it to the people just so that they could survive. Please, stop charging people interest. Stop overtaxing them. 
Return their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil that you have been assessing them. And they responded, we will return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priests and made everyone take an oath to do this. I also shook the folds of my robe and said, may God likewise shake from his house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. Boy, that's, you better not pledge around Nehemiah. (laughs) May, May he be shaken out and have nothing. The whole assembly said, amen, and watch what they did. They praised the Lord, and then the people did as they promised. I want you to know, This was not an economic summit. This was a worship service. He was calling people to say, if these are your people, then you must serve them and you must not charge them and you need to give back to them. And he says, I am charging you in the name of the Lord to do right to these people. And then in the end, the people were silent because no one had spoken to those issues. And the people were so convicted that financially they said, we must do what God is saying to do. I will say a couple things, and then I'm going to sit down. The first is this. It is my job to go around the country and raise money for Bridge Church. It is my job to go around the country and raise money for Flatbush. That is my job. And I go to large churches in the suburbs, and I encourage them, and I get with Send North America, and I encourage them, help us in the urban space. And I have sat eye to eye with people, and I have said, it is not enough to treat us like a suburban church. We have bigger needs and deeper needs. It's not enough to just keep us in that same lane. And I have sat with some of the highest of the high with people with great power. And just like Nehemiah was convinced in front of King Artaxerxes, he was convinced in front of the nobles and the officials that they were charging. And in the same way, as I go into these big rooms of these big churches, I go with the hand of God on me, looking them in the eye saying, yes, I'd like $50,000, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I'd like $200,000, thank you. Yes, praise God. I have no problem making that ask. Not because I think they owe it to us. I believe that if you really want to see a church plant in the urban core, you have to understand our issues are different. And there are unique economic issues. And it is not just enough to say you have a church in the urban space. You have to deal with urban needs you got to deal with urban problems. So I have no problem walking in there because I am committed to the people and I am going as an intercessor, going in between the two of them. I am a mediator. I go to the people that have no power and I speak truth to power and that's what God has called me to do. But if you are going to deal with oppressed people, God's calling you to do the same. If you are going to work in the urban space, If you're going to deal with issues of poverty and schools, 
you are going to have to learn how to speak truth to power. And there is a divide. When my wife and I lived in Park Slope, boy, we are, the school, the school you, you dropped them off, there was like angels coming down, just like violins when you walked in. It was like peace, and, and they walked out with candy and were happy every, every day. Do you know the PTA budget at PS10? I don't know if I can say this publicly, but I'm about to. The, the, the budget was like $500,000. And the budget for the, the school we're at now is like nine hundred. And And what I'm saying to you is when we look at what we're dealing with, it's different. It's, it's different. There is a divide. And so I, I, will, I will go to suburban churches and say, we are urban. We have different needs. But church, don't get it twisted. You can live in an urban space and have a suburban spirit. And you can hold on to your money. And you can become a person that you just, you just keep climbing the ladder, the corporate ladder, and you just keep, keep climbing the artistic ladder, and you keep climbing whatever business ladder, Wall Street ladder, whatever ladder God has you on, you keep climbing, but you're not lifting as you climb. And God has called us to lift as we climb. And that's why he looks them in the face and says, yes, but I'm not calling you to do this out of guilt. This is not about your shame. This is not about even your money. This is about stewarding your life. Where do you want to make an impact? And if you want to make an impact in the urban core, then help make this happen. But if you think this is about money, then don't give a dime. Because God loves a cheerful giver and a disgruntled giver annoys me, praise God. We don't need your money if you are not committed to the people, if you are not committed to the city, and to love that city, and to care. And yes, you know, some of you will say, James, how are we going to make all these? I don't know. We're figuring it out. We're figuring it out. But I'm committed. And we're committed. But as we continue to give, Josh, our executive pastor, will come up later and he'll talk about specific ways that you can give to the building. There will be a time when we'll call on some of you to help with actually building the building coming in January, January, February time, all the way up till April. But I just want you all to know, we have to get ready spiritually. We have to get ready spiritually for a whole new group of people. We have to get our hearts ready because we are going to see change. We're going to change as a church. Yes, we're going to go in to change the city. Yes, but we're going to change. And, so, and we will have to be flexible with the way we do things. Revelation 21. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth 
had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God, and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things <laughs> have passed away. Oh boy, I wish I had a preaching church up in here. Listen, listen, listen. Do you see that part? No more. Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. So what he is saying there is that in the kingdom, there will be all these no mores. In fact, he's the king of no more. <laughs> and being that we are kingdom kids and we are moving to Flatbush to establish the kingdom, where we see pain, we make sure if I'm on the watch, there's no more. Where we see problems in schools, if I'm a teacher, I'm going to make sure there's no more. If there's an economic problem and I'm involved in it, I'm going to make sure there's no more. Because the kingdom will be established in Flatbush. And we are going to be used by a mighty God to give them a taste of heaven. And when you walk in that building, you are going to experience Jesus and you are going to have your life changed because it's not just enough for us to serve this church. We must serve our city. Commit yourself right now. Commit yourself right now. Commit yourself right now to be a no more kind of Christian. Commit yourself. Commit yourself because we serve the king of no more. Commit yourself. Now, as I said, the finances of that building, God will take care of that. We will not pressure any of you. But I pray beyond your finances, buy in. Be all in. Some of you will have a farther travel to that building. Be all in. Some of you have trepidation, be all in. Be all in. So that we could be a model of urban church planting even in the country. Be all in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, that you are the king of glory. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you press on us as a church? Would you lean on us as a church? Lord, would you teach us beyond just as a church, who are you calling us to serve and what are their needs? And then give us a passion, grow our passion, grow our drive 
to serve. In Jesus' name.